Hey, it's been great having our student life group leaders help us during this series by reading our passage. So thanks for doing that. It's so fun to see them from wherever they are being engaged in our Thursday night gatherings. All right, so we're in chapter four of the book of Philippians, and I just want to get right into it. If you've been around the church for any amount of time, you're probably familiar with one of the verses within chapter 4, verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. No lie, this was printed on a trophy that I got. I got this trophy when I was a baseball player. I got a most improved player trophy, which is kind of like a backhanded compliment. And I felt special, though, because I got recognized. But I was in one of those leagues where, like, everybody was treated kind of the same. Not, like, in terms of, like, equity in a positive sense. But, like, everybody, I found out, got the most improved player trophy, like I did, with the same verse on it. There was a verse on the trophy because, and maybe we'll pull up a picture here with help from my mom and Jolene Carter. When I played baseball with my siblings in what was called the CBL, the Christian Baseball League in Las Cruces, New Mexico, set apart, different than the city league that had lights and nice uniforms. We had no lights, t-shirt uniforms, played on like a soccer field turned into a baseball field. And get this, the thing that defined the Christian Baseball League the most, we didn't keep score. It's just so funny. I can't even like finish. It's, it's like a bit, but it's not. This is like my story, my testimony, my, not, not my testimony, my testimony. Um, what's great is that looking back on it, I think it was well-intentioned parents that wanted to help us kids learn, I don't know, the right things about sports. I like winning. So the CBL was an interesting place to be. But I love that story because it reminds me of how easy it is for us to latch on, sometimes for good reasons, to a certain verse of scripture without fully understanding the context. And so track with me just for a minute. I want to read this kind of like a mini message. We're not even at our focus verses, but I just had to address this. I want to read verses 10 through 13 again and just give us a reminder on what Paul was meaning in his own life when he said those words and what it might mean for us and also what it might not mean. Verse 10, I rejoice greatly in the Lord at last that you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Verse 11, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this or all things through him who gives me strength. Unfortunately, Paul was not talking about me becoming one of 18 most improved players in the Christian Baseball League. He was not talking about that all-nighter that you are trying to pull this week, figuring out what Zoom University looks like post-syllabus week. He's not really even talking um, directly to you. It doesn't matter to us, but he's talking about himself first. He's telling this church, hey, he's been shipwrecked before. He's been um, assaulted for his faith. He's been imprisoned. He's had moments that he's had high highs and low lows. And what he's saying is that because of the strength of Jesus inside of him, that he can navigate all of this. And, and, And what is that value? It's not success or even faithfulness. We find this in verse 11, the second part. He's saying whatever the circumstances, and then he goes on to say that he has found contentment. Philippians 4.13 
isn't about achievement, but it's about a connection with Jesus that leads us into contentment, regardless of whether we're in a winning season or a season that feels like a loss piled on a loss, piled on another loss. Now, the power of the Holy Spirit in us as believers, does allow us to live beyond our means, does allow us to have faith, to face struggle, to take on big challenges, to embrace the adventure of faith. But this passage is talking about something that isn't glamorous, contentment. And this passage doesn't give us license or like a catch-all blessing to do hard things or to do things with little preparation and hope that Jesus would bless them. No, this passage isn't about my success and isn't about you walking into blessing and finding blessing behind every door, but it's saying no matter what is happening in your life, that the strength of Jesus will help you to find contentment, to be at peace. So hopefully I, I bursted your bubble just a little bit, but then I helped you see another side of God that I think is more helpful in the day-to-day, that He's with us and that He can lead us into a place of inner resolve, inner calm, and inner stillness. And we're actually going to be talking about peace, peace amidst anxiety and anxious times for the rest of our time together um, today. But I want to just direct our attention to those five things to remember uh, that we've been talking about each and every week as we study Philippians. All right, I'm going to read them again. You can find them in the notes tab, also in the chat, but just a helpful way for us to prepare to study together. Number one, before this was a book, it was a letter. Number two, it was written for us, but it wasn't written to us, and that signals that we have some interpretation to do, some contextualization. Number three, somewhat related, it deals with local concerns that that contain global principles, so the application is far-reaching. Number four, it was written this specific epistle, this specific letter by Paul, a man who has an incredible story of Jesus completely changing his life. And number five, it's a very unique letter in terms of the canon of the New Testament in that it's a letter whose primary motivation was gratitude and love, not correction and rebuke. Well, we're going to be focusing on verses six to nine in our time together. And I want to pray. Um, I want to pray that the Lord would help us, that we would be honest about where we're at. Maybe we are dealing with a deep sense of anxiety. We are living in anxious times. But there is something that we can be learned about God and from God through the writing of Paul. And I believe it's something that the Lord wants to do in and through us even now. Pray with me. Jesus, I ask that you would help us. Help us to be honest about where we're at and then to find you, to find your fingerprint in our circumstances, to to gather the graces of sweet relationships, of abiding with you, of the encouraging voices in our lives, and help us to really wrestle with what it means to pursue and to cultivate a life of peace. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So if you were to kind of take notes on your own, maybe you're using the notes tab or, or you're taking notes in, in a journal in front of your computer screen, uh, one of the kind of themes, maybe the, even the title of, of our time together could be the peace of Christ in us. It's a dance of sorts. And I'll get to that in just a minute. Here's verses six or nine. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. 
And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Verse 8, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Verse 9, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. All right, I've got a confession to make. Anytime scripture talks about anxiety, I get anxious, right? Many of you know it's about my story. Some of you may not, but I have an anxiety disorder. So I come with some baggage um, because of my anxiety disorder and because of things I've heard from well-intentioned people in the past that share my faith. I come into this conversation a little bit guarded, a little bit sensitive to the fact that Man, sometimes when scripture talks about anxiety and then the way pastors or, or leaders reflect on those verses, it can feel like it's minimizing the, the lived experience that I've had and the lived experience that probably many of you have had. What's great about Paul's writing, and we dig into any of the passages about anxiety in scripture, we find that at the heart of it is God's desire for us to live in peace. It's not a condemnation or a blanket statement about mental health concerns, about the reality of where we're at. It's not saying um, what I think some maybe believe but don't say. I, I kind of been around people like this that would live and give advice in such a way that if you're a follower of Jesus, you shouldn't have an anxiety disorder, shouldn't grapple with depression. Well, that's not true. Even in the Psalms, we see multiple psalmists, including David, are dealing with kind of the, the man, their, their inner life, their heart being disoriented. We even see one part where, where David writes, oh my soul, why are you so downcast? He's trying to speak life spiritually into his heart, which is destitute and distraught. All throughout the course of human history and through scripture, we see people in difficult situations, sometimes dealing with difficult personal circumstances. And so what I want to make sure that we do is that we are willing to let God speak into that, but that we also don't resort to cliches or to talking about our experiences from scripture in a way that minimizes what we're going through because the gospel of Jesus doesn't want to minimize. He wants to meet us where we're at. He doesn't want to belittle what's going on in our stories, but he wants us to have a big view of how he can impact our realities. Now, to be candid, let me just put my cards on the table. I'm praying that the Lord would heal my anxiety disorder, or I should be praying that. I see a therapist. I take medication. I meditate on scripture. Um, those things all feel complex and might even sound contradictory, but they're not. And, and I got to recognize that, man, there, there's a means of grace for many of us in medication. There's a means of grace for many of us in therapy. But I can't just be those things. There's a means of grace when I go to the Father God and I ask him not just to heal me, but to be with me. Not just to change me, but to form something in me. I'm reminded of Paul in another letter, talks about a difficulty, a thorn in his flesh that he's asked God to remove three times and God doesn't. And then he stumbles into this truth that, man, sometimes our greatest suffering, our greatest weakness is an opportunity for God to show up in strength. I don't wish that on anybody. I wish that wasn't part of my story, but it has been. And it's in scripture for a reason. So I hope you can be encouraged by some of this counterintuitive thinking. 
Uh, I'm reminded too of a quote from Sean Smith, one of my favorite preachers and authors, and he says, man, sometimes scripture has been used as a sword, which it does describe itself as that, but it's used as a sword against others when instead it should be a sword that we learn to hug ourselves. And to me, that brought a lot of freedom because I've seen scripture being twisted and used sometimes with uh, malintent, but oftentimes with good intentions in a way that wasn't helpful. And so I'm reminded that scripture should challenge us, convict us, and comfort us. But the Holy Spirit should do that individually. We shouldn't be doing that against others or hitting them over the head with something. That's not how people are invited into a family of love that we know as a community of God. All right, all that being said, here's where it gets to his peace in us, a dance of sorts. When we are encountering Jesus, he's always the initiator, and yet he always he always puts us in a situation. His design is always to be a collaborative. We are always going to have a role of involvement. For all the football fans, right, you're just coming off of the Super Bowl. I'm a big college football fan. And it reminds me of the position of the receiver, right? Like the quarterback is running the play, calling the play with the coach's help. He's making the throw. To receive something, though, isn't passive. Receivers are very active in football, right? They're some of the most athletic guys on the field. Well, in faith, in the Christian faith, our posture should be receiver, but it's not passive. It's active. And that's where that phrase, a dance of sorts, comes into play. Because when I read this verse, I can be guilty of pulling out one verse. Hey, verse 7, the peace of God, it transcends understanding. That means it's, it's a peace that's so good and true and real that it doesn't make sense to have it given our troubling circumstances. That will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I'm like, yes, I want that. Lord, where is that? Can I have an extra dose of that? But what I forget to do is read the surrounding verses and discover what is my part, my role in that becoming a reality. And that's where we get to the dance, to the collaboration, the participation, what it means to receive and live in the peace of Jesus. Well, verse 6 says that our response to difficulty should be prayer. It's saying that we should not give in to mulling around in our mind unnecessary anxiety. A lot of times, man, if I imagine the worst case scenario, it's like I'm living as if the worst case scenario happened. So emotionally, I'm drained and I haven't even lived outside of my mind into reality. And I love that it's saying in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, Present your request to God. We can be needy before God. We can pray. We can make petition. We should come with a posture of thanksgiving, but God is not going to get tired of our persistent requests. See, sometimes anxiety for me in my own story is that persistent voice that I can't seem to silent. Well, the opposite of that would be coming to God with a persistent voice where I need him the most. And that's what Paul's talking about in verse 6. Verse 7 paints that picture of what the peace of God looks like. And then there's a little bit more instruction for us in verses 8 and 9. This was a memory verse in my Sunday school days, but I don't think until recently I really grappled with how do I put this into practice. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, or praiseworthy, think about such things. I did a little bit of a summary there to make it 
a little bit quicker. But the, the, the main crux of this is the last few words of verse 8. Think about such things. Dallas Willard, religious philosopher and theologian, says, The greatest strength of a human being is the ability to choose the direction of their thoughts. That's so in line with what Paul's talking about here. Because it's listing all of these positive attributes and qualities and then saying we should put our attention towards those things. It's one of the reasons I think that gratitude journals have taken off both in church culture and in the mainstream. It's the practice, it's a discipline of focusing on what we're grateful for. But this list is so much bigger. It's saying if there's something true, think about it. Something noble, put your mind on it. Something right, Man, maybe you should journal about it. Something pure, put your attention on it. Whatever is lovely or admirable, stir up your affections in remembering those things. If something is praiseworthy, man, don't let it just be a moment, but let it be something that you remind yourself. Let it be a consistent marker in your mental life. And then verse 9, it's reminding us whatever we've seen or heard or experienced from Paul, he's encouraging this Jesus community at Philippi to put into practice. So again, being a recipient of God's peace requires effort on our behalf, and it requires practice. Rev Nat said this phrase the other day when we were meeting with leaders uh, and, and as a staff for preparing to do that, about how do we practice prayer? We don't often think about it, but man, if we're going to try to intercede for our campus, for those who don't know Jesus in our own lives, maybe it's a family member or a close friend, Well, we're never going to get to interceding for an hour or two hours or fasting for a length of time to ask God to move unless we practice in those small moments. We practice praying. We practice putting our effort and our attention on something bigger than ourselves. By the way, uh, as someone that grapples with anxiety, as someone who's an HSP, a highly sensitive person with big emotions, I have found that sometimes the very best way to not get stuck in my own story is to let that empathetic muscle in me lend that not to thinking about my own stories, imagining scenarios of what ifs and what could happen, but putting that into practice in intercession. Intercession, by the way, uh, Reese Howells would define it as it's taking on emotionally the weight of someone's need and then fighting with them in that situation. So it's a little bit different than praying for somebody. It's more of an embodiment with the Spirit's help of really focusing on a person or situation and asking God, would you help me carry this burden with them so that I'm not praying for them necessarily just at a distance spiritually, but I'm in the fight side by side. I found that intercession for me, it's not the thing that I want to do often when I'm feeling down, when I'm feeling low, but sometimes it gets me out of being stuck in my own story when I can practice prayer, practice interceding for somebody else. And that's one way that God redeems the pain in my own life. It's not just through mitigating it or helping me feel better, but that pain can sometimes signal to me, man, it's time for me to intercede. And so that becomes a blessing for somebody else. And I just thought I'd share that in case you're looking for ways you feel like you're stuck in your own story. Well, that's one of the practices that you can put into place that I've found personally helpful. And then at the end of verse 9, and the God of peace will be with you. It seems clear to me, Paul saying, if you'll put these things into practice, if you'll do the work, if you'll put in the effort, God's peace will meet you. 
Well, I want God's peace to just be on call, but Paul tells us that there are certain things that we do to cultivate that peace residing in our heart. Let me recap what those are. To respond in difficult circumstances, not with worry, but with prayer. To approach God the Father often in prayer and with petition, but to do so from the lens of thanksgiving. And then to figure out where he's moving, what he's doing, and to intentionally do the opposite of worrying, but thinking about those good things. If you're a worrier like me, the good news is you have a a big imagination, but we need to apply it in the opposite spirit. Instead of imagining what could go wrong, I'm not saying you should just imagine what could go right, but you can use that imagination to remember all the things in your week, in your month, in your semester, or maybe by theme, in your life group, in your church experience, in your family of origin that are true, that are noble, that are right, that are pure, that are excellent, that are praiseworthy, that are lovely, and that are admirable. It's using our minds to grow spiritually, which sounds weird, but we read Paul writing in Romans that actually transformation spiritually happens in the seat of our mind, that we're renewed by Jesus in mind, and that changes the direction and trajectory of our heart and our habits. Now, just because we have the steps in front of us to cultivate peace doesn't mean that this is now a formula or another set of checkboxes. And it also doesn't mean that it's going to be easy. But I find this verse and this passage more comforting than ever because it's not like Paul or the Holy Spirit is saying, Blaine, just stop worrying because when anyone tells me that, I just worry more. But it's saying, here, here are some practices. Here's some advice to put your mind at a different place so that your inner life could be transformed by Jesus. One of the mistakes that I've made before that I don't want you to make is to wait for peace until your circumstances would provide it. Instead, I'd hope that you would find a peace that's beyond what your circumstances could provide, that you'd find a peace now, not when things get better, not when life returns to normal, not when that relationship is fixed or that concern is resolved, but you'd find it now in Jesus. This is not uh, an exercise of the will. This is a cultivation of how do I live into the way of Jesus? How do I attune my ear to what he's doing? I've mentioned this phrase before, but in Ignatian spirituality, it's the idea of gathering the graces, viewing each and every day as there are good things, there are God things in my day. They may be big, they're probably going to be small most of the time. How do I gather them? How do I thank the Lord for them? How do I walk around? Not just, hey, a gratitude journal can save my life. No, it's the habit of practicing gratitude. But gratitude leads us to recognize the goodness and the bigness of God. Because, see, if I'm just thankful for what I've done or what someone else has done, man, that person has grown in my mind's eye. But if I trace gratitude back, to the working of God's love in and around me, then then I'll be able to face a day with a little bit less anxiety, with more trust that God is working even when I don't see it, even when I don't feel it. And then that peace that surpasses understanding won't just be a verse, but it'll be part of my lived reality. 
And as we worship together, I hope that you can begin to find ways from this passage today to live into the peace that God offers all of us. It's not easy. It's not automatic. But He will meet us. He will be with you. He's not waiting for your troubles to be over or your baggage to be fixed. He wants to be with you in the moment when it seems like you least deserve it or least expect it. As we worship, may we all encounter God's peace, not just in this moment, but in the days to come. Let's worship together as a community.